Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to the Man Post Weekend Review Show. I'm your host Ali, and join as always, Mr. Dave Black and Simon O'Regan. How are we, chaps? Mm, better than I was <laughs> this time yesterday. I'm yeah. fine, actually. Fine. Everything's <laughs> yeah. fine. It's, it's not the week for any three of us to talk about football this weekend, so this may be the shortest, most miserable podcast you listen to. You might be glad. Everybody hates Monday, so you're probably glad you didn't get it today. Well, chaps, we'll start with the, the quiz. Let's get a bit light-heartedness. Just a, a quick advert interruption here for you. I'm your host, Ali, as you've heard me as we introduced the pod. Just to let you know that this podcast is supported by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Champions of the world, you may say. Manscaped offers precise engineer tools for your family jewels. Manscaped have just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. And with this, we have an exclusive offer for you. Enter the code MOTP at checkout at manscaped.com and you will receive 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Now, gentlemen, I don't know if you knew much about Manscaped prior to this, um, but I am a current customer of Manscaped, so to get the 4.0 from them, it's been an absolute delight. Simon, as a bald man yourself, you must be delighted with this, to see this. You can't stop using your, your shiny balls and your shiny head. You can't use the same razor for both. <laughs> you certainly can't, no, and uh, it, I do need something to, to keep what little hair follicles I have trimmed down, so yeah, it sounds right up, right up my street, this. It's the, look, this is, it's genuinely, it's, it's, like, Dave, you said it before, it's, it's a weird conversation to have, just men talking about balls. But, like, it's, it's, it's something we all go through. Nobody wants to nip their balls with a, a set of clippers and have blood dripping everywhere. Certainly don't, Alec. That's, uh, that's one thing we all can agree on. Oh, absolutely. Like, anybody, anybody who, who does trim downstairs, it's, it's a product worth looking at. Definitely look into manscaped.com. Check out their products. Um, it's there's a wireless charging. There's there's a light on it. If you want to be strange or surprise your wife, she will thank you in the end. But if you try to do it in the dark, you try to sneakily do it. It's all there for you. As I say, look when you get to check out, use the code MOTP man on the post manscaped on the post at checkout, and you will get twenty percent off and free shipping. And as we say, your balls will thank you. Back over to the guys. Who who won the last one? I uh, think I won the last one. Yeah, like one. One, one, nil, one nil on a shootout. <laughs> it was indeed. Okay, Dave, first or second for yourself? Uh, I will go first, please. Fine. Right, so question one for yourself, Dave. Who, it's all on last season's Premier League. So right. who scored the first hat-trick of the 2021 season? Don't know why I'm giving you the season when I've just told you. 
But what the fuck topic of the season? I can barely remember last week, let alone last season. Ah, uh, last season. So I'm going to say Timu Puki against us. The answer that I have is Mohamed Salah. I mean, that was probably the more obvious answer. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a pretty left field choice, that. Oh. Not Novich weren't even in the Premiership last season, were they? Oh, God, I'm, I'm two seasons ago. Oh, <laughs> terrible. What about that answer? Even the negative one. Negative one. Sai, <laughs> uh, si, first question for yourself. Who registered the most assists during the season? De Bruyne. Harry Kane. Oh, God, of course. Oh, no. <laughs> Pension us both off. <laughs> Question two for yourself, then. Who picked up the most yellow cards during the season? The most yellow cards. Who was a really filthy player last season? Mm. I mean, let's go. Let's go with Harry Maguire, the clumsiest of men. He was second according to this list. I mean, any ideas? I'll give you a clue. It's based on your team. Uh, is it John McGinn? It was indeed John McGinn and his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Question two for yourself, Simon. See if we can get a point off the mark here. Who was the only player to score two own goals during the season? Um, <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. Lewis Dunk. The answer was Craig Dawson. Uh, I mean, he's another clumsy man. <laughs> <laughs> Question number three for yourself, Dave. Still zero zero. And. <laughs> Which company mocked Tottenham after their partnership was announced? Oh, um, Dulux. Yay! Point on the board. When it comes to paint. No <laughs> <laughs> uh, question three for yourself, Simon. Which player picked up the most Premier League fantasy points during the season? Uh, Bruno Fernandes. It was indeed. I deliberately didn't give you that one, Dave, because I thought that yeah. was right on the money. <laughs> uh, question number four for yourself, Dave. Who scored a dramatic equaliser for West Ham as they came from 3-0 down against Tottenham to draw 3-3? Uh, Lanzini, right in the top bin. It was indeed. 2-1, Dave. Right, question number four. Three, four, 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 I think. Yeah. Who did Manchester City sign... Football writers, Player of the Year winner, Ruben Diaz from in the summer. Oh, God. Porto. Benfica. Ah, bollocks. It's one of them, so. <laughs> Dave, to secure the win, who scored the first goal of the Premier League season? God, how I mean, a minute ago, I couldn't remember what year it was. Um, <laughs> hang on, right, we can we can think this through. Let's. Let's. Uh, I know it was a fact it wasn't him. Right, let's go on a journey together. Last season. I think I know this one, you know. Uh, Sigh. I don't want to know what you might know. <laughs> so, last season, on the opening day... Oh, was it a Friday night opening game? On the opening game of the season, Arsenal beat Fulham 4-0. I remember that much. But was that the first game? That's the question. It definitely happened. I remember it. I think it was Lacazette, but... I'm going to go with Lacazette. <laughs> on the money. On the money, you were right. When you said the game, I was like, oh. Well, Simon, just for shits and giggles, your last question. Who was the first manager to be sacked during the season? Oh, God. Um, I might have this completely wrong, but I think, I think it, I think it took a while for some, someone to get, no, who didn't swim on those, uh, was it Billich? It was Billich. After a 1-1 draw with Man City. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, I'd, like to, 
It was yeah, fairly well, nice, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. For, for our first manager of the season, yeah, it was quite quickly on. Well, well done, Dave. Well done. Thanks. I felt like I really laboured the victory there. It was, uh, <laughs> it's a real struggle at times, but we, we got there in the end. Great chaps. Let's get on to the football. <clears throat> not, that, not that either of us wants to talk about it. No Friday night game. Let's go straight into the Saturday game. And the early kickoff was Leicester 0, Arsenal 2. This came as a bit of a shock, really. I know Arsenal had been playing, you know, better, but felt Leicester had kind of turned it round. But the first half, Arsenal were, were exceptional. They were. I was, um, like you, expecting Leicester to do the usual and, and run uh, run riot against Arsenal, but it just never really panned out that way. I mean, Aaron Ramsdale was very good, but uh, other than the save from the free kick, they were, you know, they weren't exactly carved open for that. It was just a a good uh, a good set piece, but um, Arsenal were bang on the money. Um, from the first whistle, really, as well, which I know we've given Arsenal a lot of stick, but fundamentally they've got a very young team that's getting better every week, and uh, it kind of shows the merit of, of sticking with the plan um, rather than panicking like their North London rivals. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's um, they should be delighted at the minute. They were playing really well. Yeah, as I say, sorry, the first half were, were excellent. Second half, Aaron Ramsdale kind of justified his price tag, I guess, in the end. Uh, maybe had the the best second half of the game. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I, I didn't actually see the game live, but so I watched it on uh, the highlights of match of the day. And but I'd seen all this talk about one of the greatest saves you'll ever see. Come on, it was a good save. But I think it's been massively overhyped, but he did he did do quite well in general. I, I think we should probably please Arsenal fans, and I'm like, I suspect will please them quite a lot about this game more so than. The sort of opening 20 minutes or so where they, you know, they were really on top going forward was that they sort of handled the pressure that they were put under and didn't buckle because, they, you know, as Dave just said, then it is a young Arsenal team, which I suspect in a game like this last season, you kind of think they, they would have, um, they would have conceded a goal and, and probably gone on to, to have thrown that game away. So the fact that they managed to, to sort of hold out there, Ramsdale making some good saves, you know, one very good save from free kick as well. Um, yes, yeah, quite impressive um, for them to be fair. Um, I still think that in terms of a, a challenging for like European spots, I think it's still a, a stretch too far purely because it is still you know, pretty inexperienced team bar a couple of players, but. Um, yeah, like Dave just said there, I suppose sticking with the plan it seems to be maybe starting to pay off now, but maybe once you get into once we get into December when the fixtures really start coming thick and fast, it'd be interesting to see how deep that squad is if they pick up one or two injuries. But at the moment, so far so good. So they've after a tricky start with a couple of tricky games in there to be fair. They seem to have sort of steadied themselves, and you know they're on quite quite a good little run now. Yeah, they've got uh, an important next five games. They've got Watford, Liverpool, home to Watford, away to away to Liverpool, home to Newcastle, away to Man United, and away to Everton. Um, I mean, a couple of winnable games, obviously, including yourselves there, Dave. Um, mm. as, you, as, as you pointed out, Dave, as well, like it's a really young team. They, they generally are only a couple of couple of players away and a manager um, from being back in that challenging for top four, competing for top four. 
um, on a regular basis. You know, their squad is so young, and if you can keep them together for, you know, a couple of seasons, it's it's only going to look bright for Arsenal. Oh, well, I think so. And, uh, you know, Alexis like Smith-Rowe is playing as well as anybody at the minute. Ben White and, and Gabriel, you know, they look like a, a good partnership. They complement each other. Thomas Party started to play well. Um and obviously, you know, Aubameyang's kind of the the old man of the team now. All of a sudden, but uh, if he, we all know if he can find his feet, he will um, he will score goals. He always has done. So, I think uh, they've got a lot to be optimistic about. And all right, it's not always going to be great for them, but um, they've shown how good they can be when they're all on the game. So that's got to be what they've got to aim for now. And I think uh, I think they'll, they'll, they should push on now and, and, and head for the top five or six. Um, I guess a lot's going to depend on what happens with Spurs, which obviously we'll come on to later. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's looking a lot brighter than it was a few weeks ago. Um, well, the o'clock games. At Burnley 3, 3, Dave. Burnley 3, Brentford mm. <laughs> 1. This is a game I genuinely thought we were going to skip over. Didn't see many goals in it. But Burnley fairly turned it on that first half. Tarkovsky, according to a lot of Burnley fans, kind of proved the doubt was wrong, was, was back to his best year. Pope was obviously had been under a bit of pressure recently. Chris Wood's just a harmful. That Maxwell Corney, I think you pronounce it, is looking really good every week. And Brentford are really well. You know they have impressed a lot. The, the results really aren't coming. Yes, three losses in a row for Brentford. Um, I think a lot of us expected sort of Brentford style to win out here, but um, they were quite easily picked off with a few uh, kind of direct passes, which. You know, for any team that presses, that's kind of a risk you take and where you've got a lot of players up the field, you're leaving a, bit, a few gaps in behind. And they were, you know, absolutely battered here by, by Burnley, who haven't been great this season and haven't really done this to anybody. Which, you know, as we said before, in previous seasons, they, they always pull us out of the bag every, every you know, three or four home games. And then that's how they accumulate their points. So I guess we shouldn't be that surprised. I'm surprised it was Brentford, but um, why did Brentford have to pick this game to, you know... <laughs> To really, you know, and they lost their keeper in the week. I, I don't think for a minute that's why they lost this game, but um, I'm just going to wonder if the sort of early days in the Premier League high for Brentford has started to wane a little bit, and we're now maybe we'll get more of an idea of, of what they're all about when they're under a little bit of pressure. Yeah, Simon, anything, anything else on, on this game surprise you? Um, well, Matt Lowton scoring a header from inside the six-yard box was, was a little shocking. Other than that, no, I mean, I, I think... What Dave sort of said there about Brentford, I think a few weeks ago uh, when we were sort of praising them, I, I kind of said that they they will go through uh, a sort of sticky patch where where they might go three or four games, you know, without picking up a result. Um, that's just what happens as a newly promoted team. Burnley again, like you know, like we said, it's kind of I didn't see it coming, but we shouldn't be surprised because this is just what Burnley do. They they kind of, I think we should be saying it premature last season. You, they never, I never really seem to remember them winning games, but they always seem to just pick up <laughs> and more, you know, enough points to end up being relatively comfortable come sort of mid-March, April time. So, yeah, it's a bit, bit of a surprise to see them do it to Brentford, but just one of those and just Burnley doing Burnley things, I suppose. Brentford, as you mentioned, Dave, without their first choice keeper. And I was listening to uh, another show through the week, and I don't think they've got a, a reliable backup. I'm sure it's only a young, a young keeper they've got as backup. It's a chap called Fernandez who I know nothing about. He um, obviously didn't have the the easiest to start. I don't imagine anyone enjoys playing against Burnley, sort of, you know, physical set pieces that kind of thing. But um, to be quite fair to Burnley, they scored goals that were 
actually, you know, quite good footballing goals. You say when you when you're right back turns up in the in the six yard box to plant the <laughs> header in, then I mean, you know, it's your day, really, don't you? <laughs> I I can't really work out how that Max Cornet has ended up at Burnley because he, 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 like he looks like a player. He's had a he, very impressive start anyway. That's for sure. Uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced Sean Dyche you know, meant to sign some six foot five lumbering big bastard from whatever French team they got Cornet from, and he just turned up and he thought, oh, "Fuck it, we'll have him." I mean, this is a guy who, in his, when he signed and he did his introductory photo shoot, he pointed the Deodora badge who, on the shirt <laughs> rather rather than uh, the Burnley badge. But he, what he lacks in that, he certainly makes up for in, in finishing because he just doesn't miss, does he? Oh, God. Liverpool 2, Brighton 2. After 25 minutes, I genuinely thought this game was going to be another 7-0. And then Naby Keita basically got injured, and that was it. Liverpool fell to the shit. I, I don't even know where they start with this one, Dave. No, me neither. I was going to ask you sort of what went wrong, but you just explained that. Such a strange turnaround, and you know, after it went to 2-2, you never really looked like winning it. It was all Brighton for the second half, pretty much, in its entirety. Um, I think we should give a shout-out to Andy Robertson for possibly the worst attempt at a last-ditch tackle I think I've ever seen, <laughs> where he kind of like turns his back and then just dangles his back leg. <laughs> and, and somehow that didn't work. Uh, and the... the sitting eight yards behind the defensive well, line. Well, uh, uh, that as well. Seeing a few Liverpool fans saying that uh, he's been out of form all season. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I've said it, I've said it for a while. Our best left-back sitting on the bench, not doing anything. Obviously, Robertson, I think overall, is probably the better left-back for most of last season. And this season, he's, he's just not been good. Uh, Simicus has been really good every time he's played, but can't get in it. I mean, every manager's got favourites, like, without a doubt. And obviously Liverpool's fullbacks were were key to to how we played a couple of seasons ago. So you can kind of understand the loyalty there, but he just looks like a man who played too much football. You know, it's just it's just not the same anymore for him. You know, he's not up and down like he used. To be. He's a bit. He's, he's almost been Henderson. <laughs> he's just been Henderson. And speaking of Henderson, I, I almost regret him scoring this goal because it masks how bad performance he put in for for the, the six minutes. We genuinely played one midfielder in this game. Then he got injured. Another option off the bench was Oxley Chamberlain. One cross, which was wonderful to Sadio Mane. And then he decided not to do anything for the following 66 minutes. Oh, it was just, just, just awful. But, like, full credit to, to Brighton. Brighton more than deserved their point. Um, could probably argue they deserved more. Liverpool, as you said, they just didn't, after the, after the disallowed goal, I think did, Salah had the goal disallowed as well. Yes. Definitely disallowed. But apart from that, I can't really remember us making a chance, you know, I don't, Sanchez, the Brighton goalkeeper, kind of could have took the day off. Any of us three could have played in goal, and I think the result would have been the same. Uh, did you see any of this, Simon? Um, yeah, just the highlights. Um, yeah, like you said, I, I think the way it started off, it looked like it's going to be a comfortable Liverpool victory. And I think had they gone three 0 up, I, I suspect that probably would have been the case. Um, I, I think Potter. On match of the day, he said as much himself that sort of not not getting away with it because it was the right decision to disallow the Mane goal. But ha- having had that disallowed and, and them staying at two nil, it gives the players in a just like a, a in weirdly like a psychological lift. That like okay, we're, we're still only two down, so you're still in the game, and and if you can get the next goal, and and what a lovely goal it was as well to to get them back into the game before half time. 
just gave them that confidence boost. And that, as we know, Brighton are you know a very good footballing team. I think having Basuma back in their midfield um, really made a difference. It sort of allowed their forward players that bit more security that that they can press forward a bit more because I know they've got such a good player sort of helping out behind them and. I, th- I think Liverpool's midfield, like you said, once Cater went off injured, they're obviously all like good players, but they're not. There's not a midfield I think that, that compares with, say, City and Chelsea's midfield in terms of going for a title. And I've, I think when you come up against a, a midfield that is as good as Brighton's is, then then it's going to be a bit. You could, you know, you run the risk of, of getting overrun, and that seems to be what may have happened really in that second half. Yeah, yeah. Forget about comparing it to City and Chelsea. You didn't compare it to Brighton's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like our, our best midfield three. I, I, again, I can I can compare with with most teams in the world, but that midfield three that finished Curtis Jones, Henderson, and Oxley Chamberlain. You're not finishing mid-table with that team if that's a, you know, if that's your starting midfield in the Premier League. That's just I, I don't even know what level of team in the Premier League I could put that up against. But enough of that. Great again, really good point for Brighton. I really am impressed with Brighton. I love love Graham Potter. I'm really interested to see. I, I just hope he's not the next Eddie Howe. You know, there's kind of a, a lot mm. of resemblance. It's probably a bit early from that comparison. Um, I don't remember how ever playing football is. is as good as this. And that Bournemouth team were never able to defend either, were they? Whereas mm. Brighton are generally quite decent at the back. On to another manager who's been very impressive this season, Patrick Vieira, with a 2-0 away win at Manchester City. Dave, did you see this one coming? <laughs> I de- definitely didn't see it coming. I, mean, I think we all know Palace are, are, are decent on the counter-attack um, when they want to be, you know, like Zaha. And uh, if you'd said to us, well, Palace will score today, I'd have said, well, ah, fair enough, probably 3 or 4-1. But they were, they were excellent on the first whistle and, and Man City just couldn't get uh, couldn't get that, that, that equaliser and then obviously got a man sent off for what for me was the, the right decision. Um, I know people may disagree with that, but I don't see how you can argue against it, really. No, I'm totally with you, yeah. I, I thought there was a definite record for the port. Zaha's running straight in, straight in on, on the goal there. So I, 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 I did enjoy seeing how how much he boiled the Man City players' piss yes. <laughs> with that incident. So, I, yeah, it was a very odd reaction from all of them, I thought. I mean, the heads had gone completely, hadn't they? Um, I liked when Ryan made the point in the chat that uh, for some reason this weekend we've had four or five... Uh, <laughs> Dogs or incidents, denying obvious goals, got an opportunity with a mix of results. Like I don't know how Johnny Evans got away with his against Arsenal. Oh, that's ridiculous. That was absolutely insane, really. Um, it, was, it was so bizarre. But anyway, um, this one was definitely a red. And uh, Conor Gallagher for Palace, picked on the last season when he played West Brom, just far too good to be not anywhere near that Chelsea team. And they give him minutes to Loftus Cheek and Barkley. Like they've, yeah. you know, their losses as Palace's game, but. You know, he's so good, in my opinion. Um, I think he'll go on to play for Chelsea for a lot of years to come. Yeah, you you have a feeling that Palace maybe missed a trick trying to get him on a permanent basis, you know, with some sort of... Might have had to pay a bit over the odds, but I think it might have been worth worth the extra 10, 10, 15 mil, even with a buyback clause or something for Chelsea. I think they probably could have persuaded them at the time, but um, just, just a really good win, and 
well deserved as well. Like I'm not one for the the XG stats; they really annoy me. But Man City had more shots. I think they had 14 shots in the game, but only three of them were on target. Crystal Palace, you know, out XG'd them as well, which is more than impressive. As you say, Conor Gallagher, phenomenal. Zaha, that first half was at his best. Like that, the driving runs. And Benteke just puts himself about. Benteke the last year, calendar year, has been... Obviously, the goals aren't there, but his overall play, I think we said a couple of weeks ago, Simon, when we are talking about him, he's just putting himself about now. You know, he's just becoming a handful. The link-up is almost back. And that's much more important to a team like Crystal Palace than the goals, because the goals will come from elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think I said it maybe last week or the week before, that he's... He's one of those players that when his confidence is up, he he's just so difficult to defend against. And he, yeah, he seems like he's happy, you know, with himself now, and he's happily enjoying his football again. Which, as you say, it's now it's, I don't think they're, they're going to have to be reliant on him like they would have liked to have been in previous years for, for the goals because they've got. A lot of talents around them, obviously Zaha, we know, I think everyone knows how good he can be on his day. You've got Eze to come back, I think, in a couple of months. You've got that Elise, who looks, you know, a decent little player as well. Obviously, uh, Gallagher, who we've mentioned. So there's, um, yeah, Palace, they kind of, I think we, we sort of said at the start of the season, we weren't sure which way it would go with them, whether... But I think we all kind of felt, it, for some reason, it would either be an absolute disaster or it would go like it seems to be going. And fair play to them. I, you know, Vieira, for the amount of change that they had to make in the summer, you know, there was a, the risk that they could have, they maybe had done too much too soon, but it seems to be paying off so far. Obviously, it's still early days, but... You know, they, they, the Palace looked like a fun team to watch, which is not something... I don't think you've ever been able to say during the Premier League era. No, and that's I think that's the biggest the biggest feather in his cap is that he's he's transformed how Crystal Palace play um, in a matter of months. And I know they haven't they've only won twice, but I think we can all agree they probably deserve more than that. Um, they just haven't you know a bit like Brighton last season haven't quite managed to get some of the results they should have done. Um, you look like that last game against Arsenal where you know, they should have been out of sight really, but considered a ninety fourth minute or whatever it was. So yeah, I think um, I was, you know, wasn't that confident as Vieira was the man. Um, he hadn't really shown a great deal in his coaching career to suggest he would be the man to transform him, but he's been he's been excellent. Um, everything he's done, it's been very positive, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing how far they can go. And the thing is, the fans, for all the Crystal Palace fans that have come into interaction with, they don't really care about the results either. As you've both highlighted, like the the entertainment and the style of football we're getting to watch, you know, it's just that refreshing for them. As long as they don't go down, they're quite happy just to enjoy the the roller coaster because um, they're not sitting watching the no disrespect for Mr. Hudson, but you know the turgid hodgeball that they had been stuck with the last couple of seasons. And obviously, Vieira's got them playing well and now getting the points as well. And this is. A great result from um, on City. It's probably really not much to dissect. They, I mean, they, they went a man down. There's nothing to be concerned about. They'll. It's just one of those results for them, isn't it? There's not really, you know, there's no really need for a big dissection. I think it's just just another game where you say, well, why didn't you buy a centre forward? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was just going to say that because obviously they 
you know, a couple of weeks ago, they had they drew nil nil at home Southampton didn't they? And they, it's, it's, it seems like if if they can take the lead, if they take the lead in against teams like this in the first sort of twenty twenty five minutes, they'll go and put four five or six past them. But if you can get yourself to half time at nil nil, especially at the Etihad, there just seems to, the, the crowds don't really seem to get, like get up for it that much and and because there's, there's no plan B really plan A doesn't work and you know then, then, then yeah then, then it's, it's one of those games where like you say you think they, they should have just got a striker I mean don't get me wrong I'm sure come the end of the season there's every chance if they don't win the league they'll certainly be you know there or thereabouts but yeah you do you look at this and Southampton that Southampton game that's you no know, five points dropped. They're five points behind Chelsea at the moment, so you know it might be worth going out and getting someone to stick the ball in the back of the net. Right then, Dave, dissect that performance for us. Nah, I mean, it won't take much dissecting, to be honest. We we went with a we went with a game plan which was to sit deep and to uh, and to try and stifle Chelsea to nil nil and. It wasn't pretty, of course, it wasn't pretty, but for the most part, for what was it, 67 minutes or something, we uh, we, we did just that. And then it took a, a pretty good strike from Rhys James, to be quite fair, to break the deadlock. Uh, and then as soon as that happened, we threw on attack and player after attack and player. Um, none of which made any difference, and it just made it was easy for Chelsea to pick us off. I saw people saying, oh, you know, it's another bad result for Newcastle. Of course it is, but we're never going to beat Chelsea. Like, it's it's... They are the European champions. I didn't expect to win. Um, I, I don't think I'd approach it any differently, to be honest. I think if we'd if we'd gone for it from the outset, we got beat three 0 in twenty minutes going for it. So I mean, God only knows what would have happened if we'd gone for it from the start. So um, I think with, with all the big games like that, you've got to make a decision. You either face it head on and try and try and win um, and risk getting hammered, or you uh, try and shut up shop and try and keep it tight for as long as possible um, we went for the latter sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um, and, uh, and on this occasion it, it didn't in the end but if you're the caretaker manager you don't want to be getting beat 6 and 7 nil. <laughs> like, it, uh, it's, it's not going to do you any good is it so um, I, I understand why I went that way um, it was a total write off of the game for me anyway and that's how it proved so um, as I said last week we're, we're treading water awaiting an appointment awaiting the old white smoke to come out uh, I still don't know who it's going to be. The the bookies don't know who it's going to be. The, the odds change every day as to who the favourite is. Today, Unai Emery was was said to be close to taking the job, and within an hour he'd come out and said, "I have no idea what you're talking about," which might be the language barrier. I'm not sure. But, um, it doesn't sound like it's going to be him, but I, I, I we don't know. Um, let's just wait and see who we get. Uh, the next five games are really really crucial for you guys, Dave, aren't they? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, Arsenal, Norwich, and Burnley, because the the next four after that are Leicester, Liverpool, City, and Man United. Um, I mean, I'm I'm really not not looking forward to going to Brighton next weekend because um, they play total football and will pass pass round us like they did last season and will do again. Um, after the international break, though, we've got Brentford, uh, we've got Burnley, we've got Norwich, among others. Um, those three home games. Uh, look absolutely enormous for whoever takes the job. Uh, I just hope it's someone competent, which you know it should be. Um, we shouldn't be shopping the bargain bin anymore for managers. 
the aim for the new manager then international I think that'll be appointed this week before Brighton um, with a view to maybe sitting in the stands um, or very very early on the week after that in the international break Appointing someone during that international break seems a bit pointless because you know a lot of the players will be away. I mean, we don't have loads of internationals, but still some. Um, just seems like it'll be a, another waste of uh, a few days. So the sooner the better, really. I mean, I'm pleased. I'm, do, I'm pleased they're doing it properly. There's no point just you know appointing whoever. So I'm pleased that they're doing it properly. Sorry, Simon. Is is there anyone? Cause I, I I'm just asking this a genuine question. I've looked. I've no idea. Is there anyone now on the boards or? you know, in a uh, higher-up position at the club, who has experience working in football or, you know, in that base? Because that the, the managerial appointment is going to be key because you know, is it some, do you get someone in and think, like, we, we, let's just get someone in to make sure we, we stay up this season and then revisit in the summer? Or do you go for someone who is going to be in for the long call and you may have the possibility of spending a season in the championship with that person. Mm, well, I think uh, to answer your question, I mean, Lee Charnley's still involved in the process. He's been the um, managing director for probably ten years, maybe. Um, so he's not been brilliant, obviously, because he's been working <laughs> like Ashley. But but he, you know, he's been involved in in the process before. Other than that, I, I don't know who else is involved. Um, to answer your question, I mean, we're, we're early enough on in the season for me that it's not the time to appoint a firefighter. You've got enough points to play with um, to appoint, you know, the manager. Um, I mean, who do you appoint? You know, if you said appoint manager so you stay up, we're not going to go and appoint Tony Pulis or Sam Allardyce. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so for me, and I said this when we appointed Rafa in 20, whatever it was, 16, um, the job is to come in and win football matches. It doesn't matter what position you are on the table. I don't think whoever comes in is going to look at it and go, well, we need to claw, claw back six points on, on Leeds or Watford. They'll look at it and say, well, let's go and get 50 points from these games and they'll mark down, you know, we can get three points there and there and there. Yeah. Um, and you almost at this stage, you don't worry about the other teams. Like, if, if, if you can go and get, are we on four points? So, we, you know, if we go on and get 40 points over the next um, 28 games, that'll be enough to be safe. And that's got to be the way to look at it. Just how do, how are we going to get these points? Not worry about what everyone else is doing. Mm. Um, if it was, you know, 10 games to go, it might be a different story. But uh, for the amount of time we've got left in the season, it's not time to panic just yet. Yeah. No, 100%. Uh, and then, as you say, it has to be there. They're glad you're taking the time. There's a few disappointments. It has to be the right one. Um, no stop gaps. It needs to be the one who you're going to Almost put your faith in for the next two, three years at least and let them build what they need to build. Uh, Chelsea boys, um, as you say, Dave, he's held out for 66 minutes, I think it was. Um, Reese James kind of a couple, a couple of really good goals. The first one, was it the first one that was really good? Um, they, they still look really, I don't know, they just, I feel like there's something missing still from Chelsea. Well, they're missing half a team at the minute, and they're still good. <laughs> yeah, you know, Lukaku, Werner, Mount—that's probably their front three. We're all missing. Um, like I say, like, it wasn't—you know—we didn't have a lot of the ball. We didn't really create an awful lot ourselves, but we limited Chelsea to a few sort of moments of brilliance. There were very few clear-cut chances in that first 60 minutes or so. Um, but uh, when it came down to it, 
they had that moment of class from from, from James, who took the school brilliantly well, um, and that was it. And that's that's you know, that's how top teams win. Yeah, absolutely. That's the the top three is obviously going to be my, the top three as it is now. I'd imagine the top three at the end. It'll just be whatever order they go in. Um, last game before we kick off a short break. Uh, Watford now Southampton one. Um, quite a nice finish from Chi Adams, but uh, not really much to say about the game, Simon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> other than a really lovely finish from Chi Adams, who he then went on to somehow miss it. I mean, I don't know if you saw the header that he missed later on in the game, where six yards out, and he managed to head it into the ground and bounce it over the bar. It's quite, quite, quite impressive, to be fair. Um, South, big win for Southampton, obviously uh, another uh, an away win and Watford's They're kind of, I mean, I, I really don't know what to make of Watford's and you know there they go, they get an absolute battering off Liverpool in Manieri's first game, then they go and score five at Everton and and then they, def- I'm sure they'll be really disappointed with this because this is the type of game that I think they'll have targeted as you know we, we could really do with getting three points at home to potential relegation rival but I think that's probably what you're going to get with Watford they've got a handful of decent players up front that are capable of producing moments in certain games but there's also just not an awful lot of quality at the back end of the pitch so they're going to lose quite a few which is why I think they'll end up going down and I think results like this sort of point to that being a possibility yeah, Dave, anything what's going on? Uh, no, I totally agree with Sai. I think um, of the two teams, that neither of them are particularly special, but uh, Southampton just have that little bit more know-how at the Premier League level. Um, Watford, a strange team, very strange in, in many, many ways. Um, and, and I really don't know what to make of them. Uh, I mean, was the result against Everton a fluke, or was, or was, you know, was that what they will be more of the time? I, I really don't know. Um, <laughs> we'll have to just wait and see how, how Ranieri settles in with him. Um, he's uh, obviously himself has had a very up and down managerial career. He's probably had as many good jobs as bad jobs. So <laughs> your guess is as good as mine is how it plays out. <laughs> but um, at the minute, I'm, I find them pretty uninspiring. But we will take a quick break and we'll be back with the rest of the pictures in two seconds. And we are back. Gentlemen, the the late kickoff on the Saturday night uh, was Tottenham Hotspur nil, Manchester United 3. Now, there is two ways to go about this. I am, for one, delighted that Man United got the win here. This just prolongs all the way in the job for that <laughs> little bit longer. Unfortunately, which you guys just revealed to me pre-pod, which I didn't realise was confirmed, um, Spurs <laughs> this morning sacked their manager, Nuno. Um, all I'd like to say is thank you, Nuno, for sacrificing your career. Only <laughs> <laughs> the job for a few weeks longer. Um, but this is this result is is almost predictable. Spurs would Spurs it, and Ole always does this when his job is under real pressure. He just pulls out those wins. And obviously, he just puts one of the best strikers that we've ever seen up front and who puts on a masterclass of a volley. Um, 
Yeah, Dave, talk us through it. I think my absolute favourite way of summarising this match is I saw I read this on Twitter earlier that uh, Solskjaer um, played Conte's formation in order to stop him losing his job to Conte. In the process, he meant that uh, Nuno lost his job, who Conte will replace. And it's just like, <laughs> is he a, is he a genius playing playing like eight D chess? Like, how is, it's it, it's crazy. Um, but uh, sometimes the most simplest solution is uh, is, what, is what happened, and that's you know we put an actual striker up front with um, with Ronaldo, and the end result is that as a pair they both scored. Bruno Fernandez looked more like his old self playing a bit further forward. Um, they didn't concede, which you would never have thought after last week. Um, <laughs> I mean, Harry Maguire still didn't have the best game, and uh, I think there was a question marks about Juan uh, Bissaka playing at right wing back. I mean, l- longer term, this formation takes Greenwood out, it takes Rashford out, it takes Sancho out. Um, but in the short term, it keeps him a job, and we can all be thankful of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, was basically one goalkeeper. Seven defensive players. Bruno Fernandes being the only link to Cavani and Ronaldo. Let's be honest. Well, that is true. And I mean, you've got to bear in mind that I mean, Tottenham were terrible as well. I mean, in terms of rope-a-dope, <laughs> they've played into Man United's hands by just, well, A, giving a possession and B, not even trying to get it back. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm not overly surprised um, that it turned out the way it did. Um I am surprised that Nuno has been sacked after 17 games and no one seems to be questioning um, how Tottenham are you know, the worst fan club in the world um, and how Nuno is the nicest man in the world and didn't deserve this sort of treatment, which is very strange. And nor has Steve Bruce been linked to any of the jobs, which is even odder considering <laughs> such a good manager. And nothing's been said about Harry Kane absolutely mailing in the whole season so far. Well, that's another thing that Nunes had to contend with. You know, he spent the whole summer. I've got no doubt when he was when he was looking for the when he was interviewing for the job, they were like, "Well, Kane might be gone. Be prepared to replace him." And instead, Kane didn't go, and he's clearly not a happy man because he's he's been nowhere near the player he can be. Um, and he's not the only one. You know, there's a few there at Spurs who who were you know miles off the pace, but. Uh, Kane's so integral to the way they have always played. Um, I think he's got, is it one league goal this season against us? Yeah. yeah. It's just not enough, is it? It's, it's not, forget the goals. There's just, it looks like, and it, I, I would hate to say this for any professional football, but he genuinely doesn't look like he's even trying. You know, the, the running's not there. The, I, I mean, I've never been keen the biggest fan. I, I think he's, a goal scorer. I was never a fan of the player as such, but I mean the the running's half of what it was last season. It just, as you say, you you, you almost have to feel for Nuno. He's went to a club where he wasn't wanted. Sorry for him, he's like, well, you're an idiot. But you know, he wasn't wanted. He was like that eight-point manager. He went, and as you say, Dave, with a that big massive cloud hanging over. Well, you know, your main your main forward, your main player. Might not actually be there. We're not quite sure. Well, this is it. I mean, they must have expected it was going to take a little bit of a transitional period to get to get uh, to get to where they want to be, or where he wants to be, and they just haven't given him that at all. 
um, which I just find astonishing, really. Um, but they've done it now, and they've obviously, you know, they did this with Pochettino and Mourinho. They've obviously heard that Conte is available and happy to come, and they've gone, well, fine. So they've been Nuno off, and Conte's coming in, and, you know, Conte's a better manager than Nuno, I've got no doubt about that. Um, whether he can put lipstick on this particular pig, we'll find out. But um, I, I, it's, it's just a very, a very strange club who've got ambitions well among, well above their means. I, I, I don't think Conte will end up being much of a success there because you, you're sort of saying how you'd have expected um, that there'd have been a bit of a transitional period that that Nuno you'd have thought had been given the time to get through. But Pochettino wanted to sort of go through that similar transitional period. He, It wasn't like he was um, just demanding, oh, we need to sign another three or four players. He actively wanted to get rid of players because he knew that you know his time at the club, the, he'd had the same group of players pretty much for three, three or four seasons. And like you know, Ali, how we've spoken about with Liverpool, with their front three, maybe, you know, you, there's, there's a finite period for the players when you, before you need to freshen it up. Pochettino wanted to do that and to whether, you know, Levy just wanted too much money for some players. I, I don't know, but they, they didn't let him do that. Mourinho, obviously, you know, we all know what happened there. And with with Nuno coming in, I mean, like you like you just said, the club didn't want him, the fans didn't want him, and their best player or their talisman doesn't want to be at the club either. So I, I, it was it was just never going to work that appointment. Obviously, he, once you made the appointment, you, you should give him more time. But it was just such a such an odd move in the first place to bring him in, and I think. I, I I don't see them having a particularly good season, whoever comes in, with the way things are at the moment. Well, it'll be interesting, that's for sure. They really do... I mean, they've not got a terrible squad. They just they really need to sort out the keen thing in January. They need to either just cash in or get them to sign a new contract. One or two. It needs to be one or the other. You can't let them sit there for the rest of the season. Cause is it this season he's out of contract? Is this he's got... I think hasn't he got three years left? I think after this season he's still got another two years left. Oh, because right. well, he just he did. You're right, Simon. He did sign that big contract just a couple of years ago, didn't he? Like yeah. a six contract or something. Yeah. So that that needs to be addressed right away. They just need to decide. Um, but, but I mean, Man City are no mugs. They're not going to come out and then just say, "Oh, do you know what? Yeah, we'll take them for the." For the same price, so they, that's going to be the biggest thing. Whatever manager comes in needs to do, um, but it's not going to be a, an easy task. I think the, the problem is, I think it was you who said it, David. You know, they still they still think they're a top four club, and they really they're falling way short of that. Now there's too many too many like good clubs above them. Like obviously, Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool have pulled ahead. You've got Man United who have spent ridiculous amounts since Spurs were relevant. You've got teams like West Ham, Leicester, um, and even Brighton now. You know the way they're playing, like right up there competing. And obviously, we we just said about Arsenal's young squad. Uh, it's just there is so much now for them to to contend with. I'm not I'm not sure. 
that they'll get back there anytime soon. No, I mean, what you would say is the squad looks relatively well set up for how Conte likes to play. Yep. Um, there might be a centre half light, I think. Um, but for the most part, you know, they've got their front three, which are going to be Kane, Son, and, well, Moore or Bergwijn or, you know, whoever. Um, they've got Regulon, who will play one of the wing back positions. Uh, Emerson Royale looks pretty decent at the other side. So, you know, the crux of the team is there. Um, and I say, I think it was an opportunity to go and get a manager who's proven at Premier League level. Um, and they've just taken it. The same way there's a Mourinho. They, haven't, they probably haven't given it a huge amount of thought other than he's available and we know he's good. Um, and that'll be that. So I feel like he'll be better for them than Nuno was. I didn't think Nuno was ever a great fit there. But uh, I think once they'd, once they'd chosen him, they probably should have stuck with him for longer than two months, three months. Yeah, no, fair. On to Man United, just, just briefly, we laugh and a joke here about it, but it genuinely... Oli has genuinely done it again. <laughs> Every time he does get into that pressure stage and people are talking about his job, he just he does seem to pull out these results. I think it's it's more the quality of the uh, forward players who have pulled the results out of the arse for him rather than, than what he's done. I mean, it doesn't it's like a managerial genius to to work out that. Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo and Edison Cavani <laughs> probably get you a couple of goals. <laughs> I mean, fair, I mean, fair play as well. The, the goals, especially, I mean, Ronaldo's movement and volley was superb. But for me, my favourite goal was Cavani's one. With the pass from Ronaldo, the run from Cavani and the finish, it's, it's top quality, but I, I would expect that from you know, some of the best players in the world. Yeah, Diamond, by no means was a claiming like all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just more meaning the results, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, chaps. So we'll we'll move off from that absolute cluster of Oz managerial and all his management ability, um, and we'll move on to the Sunday games, where Leeds came away with a, not a shock because it's Norwich losing again, but Leeds were two 0 away win at Norwich, Simon. I mean, you'd be better off going today because I haven't seen anything from this game. I was uh, I was preparing for my own horror show. <laughs> <laughs> so this was, yeah, I mean, this the first half of this, I mean, you know a game's bad when my wife sat down on the couch and she's like, after like five minutes of watching this game, she's like, is this Premier League? Like, yes, this is Premier League. <laughs> Incredible, isn't it? Um, second, second half, though, was um, actually quite good. Um, somehow the game exploded into life and I mean, for Leeds, Rafinha is just—he's a, a talisman. Like, he, he is so good. Um, I hope whoever whoever we appoint as manager is happy to throw lots and lots of money at him because I would like watching him in a Newcastle shirt. But I fancy he'll have better offers. Um, he was—he uh, was the difference really for me. Um, his goal was excellent. Um, sat about three of them down and put it through all their legs for good measure. Um, Norwich rallied a bit and headed an equaliser, but. Um, other than that, they didn't create an awful lot. Even once they went behind, they had a couple of free kicks around the box, but never really looked like equalising. Um, Leeds aren't a great side by any means, um, but they are missing a few, as they always seem to be. They, if, if Rafinha stays fit, they'll be they'll be absolutely fine. Um, probably not as good as last season, but they won't get relegated. Um, Norwich, on the other hand, will get relegated. Um, which is 
probably harsh to say after 10 games, but um, they've got well, they've got four huge games coming up against sides in and around them. Um, but they just don't have Premier League quality up front. Uh, even Pukki, who was excellent for the first half of the season, they were last in the Premier League. Um, even he doesn't look as good or as sharp or as quick or as anything really. Um, so I think they will be relegated, which is not exactly you know a shock. But uh, yeah, they've um, they've got very little going for them. Yeah, they, they definitely look like they're pretty much done. It's almost going to be a case of like how many points can they accumulate rather than um, can they survive? And as you talk about Leeds, I mean, I feel Leeds have never had 11 fit players since they came up to the league. Uh, I've never looked at their actual squad depth, but I, I take it they don't operate on a on a big squad at all. I take it Bielsa likes to keep it quite tight because they always seem to have about six or seven players missing. They, they've never got a back four proper defenders. They're, they're sitting with, like, I'm sure Ross said they only had two fit centre-halves for this game, and one of them was playing in midfield. Like, what do they do? I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't think it was that bad, was it? I mean, they had Lorente playing, who's a centre-back. I know that much. And I think um, Stroke, I think he's a centre-half, isn't he? So he's played in midfield on a number of occasions. I don't know. And then there's, um, <laughs> I mean, obviously D- Dallas played left back, but he plays everywhere. So I mean, that's that's maybe less surprising. Um, I don't know who Jamie Shackleton is. Who was at right back? I'm not going to pretend I know anything about him. Um, Phillips, he's obviously good. Yeah, he's very good. He's he's a player I still would love. Love Yes, someone who's not good is um, Dan James, who. Once again, flat to deceive, I think, putting it, putting it politely. Um, but yeah, as I say, you know, Leeds would be delighted they're beating a team who um, probably would have fancied their chances of winning a game and, and haven't. Leeds are only going to go up the tail from there. I don't think they're going to finish any lower than 17th for certain. Um, and inside the level on points for you now, which um, is probably... More an indictment of how your season's going than theirs. <laughs> I'm sure we'll come on to that in a minute, but um, job done for Leeds. Um, they have got, uh, I think they've got Leicester, yeah, they've got Leicester at home next weekend, which, not easy. The way Leeds play kind of plays in Leicester's hands a little bit, but it's after a European night for Leicester, so who knows. Kind of summed up well. Um, Simon, I'll, I'll, I'll just... I'll skip past this one for yourself. As you say, you are preparing for for your game. Um, as as you say, Dave, this was a result. We had to win, and if, if Norwich wanted any chance of staying up, this was again a result they needed to get out of this game. I still I'm still shocked how many points Leeds have actually accumulated. I just didn't see. I, I start. I still stand by. I don't think Leeds have been good at all this year. They, they don't look like the same Leeds from last season. Um, very, I don't know, just very passive. But you know they're not going to complain if they, as as Ross says, like the aim is to stay up, um, kind of just solidify themselves as a Premier League team, and uh, hopefully the the build will come gradually. And as long as they keep Bielsa, I guess you know they're they're going to be delighted, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, he, we've said before, you know, fair play. I mean. 
he knows how he wants his teams to play and he does his best to make sure it happens regardless of how many injuries they've got they throw the youngsters in they don't change the shape they just keep playing the same way um, and for the most part it's worked for them and it certainly did last season uh, and I'm sure if they can keep the centre half fit they'll have more of a chance of it happening this season Yeah, no, 100% right Simon um, I'll wait I'll wait Do we have to? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I have to every week. So yeah. I mean. <laughs> um, Aston Villa one, West Ham four. Yeah. I don't. I don't really know what's what's happened in these these last few weeks. Um, in the game yesterday, we just started. It was it was exactly like how we started against Arsenal. There's just no intensity whatsoever. Um, you know what. West Ham are a good team, but like Arsenal last week, I don't think they even played particularly well, or had to play particularly well, because we just offered absolutely no challenge whatsoever. Um, I mean, the, the first goal, how how a right-back is able to, to find himself in that position, what, five, six minutes into the game, to get the ball into the bottom corner, is it's just... It's just ridiculous. Um, and we say that the first half, we were just, there's just no intensity whatsoever. Somehow managed to, to get ourselves back into the game with, um, probably one bit of decent play that we produced from Brendan did well on the right to uh, sort of turn into the box and, and pick out Watkins for the equaliser. But just, even like, it just felt like in the stadium, the, the, even once we equalised, the celeb- it, it felt the way the, the celebrations were from the crowd. It was like it was a consolation goal when you were three 0 down already. <laughs> like it was just there was just no confidence. I'm saying from any fan that 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 we were going to still get anything out of the game, and then Deck and Rice just given all the time in the world to to, to pick his spot into the bottom corner. And then the second half, you know, you, you wanting a, a reaction. The game completely goes away, really, once once we go down to 10 men. And we sort of briefly ch- chatted in the WhatsApp yesterday about the red cards. For me, I, I think Comza is unlucky to get a red card myself. I, I think had Johnny Evans been sent off, then I don't think Honza would have been, but I think the fact that Evans wasn't sent off in the, the day before has suddenly put the refs on, on high alert. But, but for me, Jared Bowen is, 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 the ball's going away from goal and Ashley Young is covering. If anything, it seems more strange that Courtney Howes got away with a close line on Pablo Ford Howes about five seconds before that. You know, it's like the, the wrong centre half was, was sent off. But weirdly, once he went down to 10 minutes, first time that they actually started running about a bit, for me anyway, and actually trying to put a bit of effort in. Um, but, I mean, we were just never going to get back into the game. I think Pablo Fornells was, was fortunate to stay on the pitch. I, I think Marvellous Nakamba's reaction probably didn't do himself any favours, rolling around on the ground as many times as he did. 
it makes you think, oh, come on, mate, you can get up, it's not that bad. But I, 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 I do think Fornals was, was fortunate to have stayed on the pitch of that challenge. But it wouldn't have made any difference. We were really poor. Some of the decisions I'm starting to get a little concerned about. I mean, obviously, we started, we went back to the 4 3 3. And what, 10 minutes into the game, five, ten minutes in, Jacob Ramsey gets a bad injury, which is putting him out, I think, for six to eight weeks. But he brings Ashley Young on to replace him. Now, Ashley Young, I like him. I think he, he's a useful squad player to have. And he's many things. But what he's not is a central midfielder in the Premier League, up against, especially if he's up against Rice and Suchek, who is arguably the best midfield partnership in the league at the moment. So that was just a really odd decision. You, you've got, we had Aaron Ramsey and Carney Chukamake on the bench, who are okay, our two 18-year-old lads, but they're central midfielders. And you feel if if we weren't in the run of form that we'd been in, one of them would have would have come on. But it just felt like a sort of the safe option to let's just put an experienced head on him and hopefully he'll do a job in there. And even the decision to, to drop Mings, I know obviously Ali, you, you've made it very clear over the weeks that and months that, that you're not the biggest Tyro Mings fan, but. For me, just that, you know, we, we, we'd lost three on the bounce and at Arsenal, no one had played well. So to almost scapegoat Mings as, you know, he's the only player who's got dropped from that and he's your captain. And that's, that's a bold decision and, and it didn't fucking work because we lost 4-1. Um, it's just, it's, it's, something's not quite right at the moment. I mean, the, the Arsenal game last week, there was a, apparently a flare-up between Morgan Sanson and Craig Shakespeare on the bench. When Conza gets sent off yesterday, he takes Brendia off to bring Mings on. Brendia storms off down the tunnel. Something's, something's just not quite right, and I can't quite put my finger on, on, on what's going on, because that squad of players... For me, and this may just be me, me being a biased Villa fan, you know, not not seeing it through neutral's eyes. But for me, that squad of players should come to be, be finishing in the top half of the league. So I don't know what's going wrong. Um, I think you're right. I think the squad you've got it should be top half comfortably. But again, without sounding too harsh, and I, I think your manager's got you to the level that he's going to get you. Um, I mean, he might. He might prove me wrong ultimately, but I do feel he's taken you as, as far as his level is going to take. On the Mings dropping, I don't think he was. It was almost like he was scapegoated. I just felt they had to choose one of the centre backs to be to be dropped, and it, it looks like he's scapegoated because he's the captain. But I almost kind of appreciate like, the captain is only an armband. Like let's not kid ourselves. Very rarely is the captain the best player. Um, twin Zabi, Twin Zabi, is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. You know he's been, he's not really put much wrong um, at centre back. He's all right. Uh, obviously, Konza's your your best defender. I think my, the biggest problem I had yesterday with, with Dean Smith was obviously bringing on Ashley Young in centre midfield. I think the the young ones who they may be young, but at least they're centre midfielders. They really need to be having a word. With Dean Smith saying, Look, come on, like I like Ashley Young, but he's a left back, he's a left winger, he can, he can argue throwing him up front, but one thing he's not is a centre midfielder. <laughs> like, you know, let me do my job sort of thing. 
that 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 was the biggest concern from Dean Smith yesterday was that decision of all of them was the the centre midfield one because he can't yeah. be actually young for being bad because he's not a centre midfielder. So that's it, and no, he he tries, but as you said, he's not a centre midfielder. It's not, you know, he's he's never going to be able to to step up to the level required in that position. And as I say, especially up against Suchek and Rice, who you know, they're they're very, very good players and they're big units and Young's only a little fella, really, so <laughs> it just seemed odd. But, but even then, also some of the other substitutions, as I say, when when Conza went off, you already two one down. So what I don't really understand the point in taking off one of your creative players for another defender because you're already losing the game anyway and, and we ended up getting battered four one anyway, so you may as well at least have a go. And then later on in the game, he, he took Bailey off for El Ghazi. And you think you, you've just you've replaced a winger for another winger. You, you've not actually done anything that's going to affect the way the game's going. You've been, you've been better off either in that situation down to 10 men, sticking Keenan Davis on up front with Watkins and just having a big man up front who'll put himself about and hold the ball up. Or give young Cameron Archer a go who, in the cup competitions this season, has scored 10 goals in five games. Now, okay, it's only against lower league opposition. But 10 goals in five games suggests if he gets the chance in front of goal, he knows where the back of the net is. So, just just very odd. And I think with Smith, I mean, I, as you know, I, I said sort of last week, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I, I like him and I think he's got enough credit in the bank to maybe be that he should be given the chance to, to you know, keep going and, and, and see see what he can do. What I worry about is, obviously, we've got Southampton on Friday night. If we lose that, and it's not so much the defeats, it's the man of the performance, because we were dreadful against Arsenal last week and we were awful against West Ham. If we produce another performance like that and, and lose, say, 2-3-0 at Southampton on Friday night, with a two-week international break, you know, that's it's a popular time for managers to go. I I would worry for his position. I wouldn't be saying personally. I wouldn't be doing it. Be be getting rid of him because, as you know, what I've said about what I think there's still credit in the bank, and also I'd, you know who's out there that we would go and get. Realistically, that that would be that much of an upgrade. But we've spent a lot of money, and you know what we've just said about what we think the quality of the squad is. You know, at some stage the owners are going to look. And, you know, there's every there's every chance if, if results go, you know, there's a certain a goal swing, we could end up in the bottom three, could end up next weekend. But if the owners are looking at that, thank you, Angon, look at some of the players we've got and the money we've spent over the last couple of years. We're sitting 18th a quarter of the way into the season. He could be on thin ice. He, Friday night now has become an absolutely massive game for us. Yeah, I mean, Dave, I mean, what's your thoughts on the whole Dean Smith and, and Villa overall. Well, I, said, I said last week, I wonder if um, Villa have outgrown Dean Smith. Um, but I haven't thought about it. But if you know, if you recap, Villa's first season in the Premier League, you were god awful to average until lockdown. Um, you then scraped it together, got enough points to stay up. Uh, last season, you were excellent for, what, 10, 15 games. Uh, once Greatest got injured, phew, wasn't particularly pretty. 
Um, fell off a cliff again a little bit. And this season's been more of the same, so I'm just wondering if, you know, how much was Grealish carrying this team, uh, is my first thought. Uh, and secondly, which is the point you covered, Sarah, is that there's clearly a lot of unhappy players in there. Not necessarily, you know, because of um, being at Aston Villa, but the way things are going, obviously, tensions are running high, which is good in a way. You don't want players who don't care. But at the same time, Jamie Redknapp made a very good point before the game, which I know is rare, but he said with, with Mings being left out, it's a huge decision from the manager because Mings, and you'll know as well as I do, so Mings is... He's a leader in every sense. He's always the one who's on social media. You know, he's the face of Aston Villa in many ways. Um, and I imagine he's very popular in the dressing room as a result. So leave him out. Um, if it goes for you, happy days. If it doesn't go for you, then all of a sudden it's the worst decision in the world. It's a bit like um, when Hullet left out Ferguson and Shearer for us. And if, if he'd won that game against Sunderland, those two would have been sold and that would have been that. Um, but the fact that we lost, he lost his job the next the next week, next day, whenever it was. Um, now I'm not saying it's that catastrophic for him, but um, it has similar similar feelings about it. Um, and I think there's been a fair outlay on that squad. Um, and I might, you know, Bailey hasn't featured as much as you'd like because of injury and things like that. Um, I'm not really sure you know how to get the best out of Ings and Watkins together. Um, you've obviously tried the three at the back or the two up front. Um, they both played against Arsenal, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and you know, obviously didn't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's probably a lot more questions um, that need answering. Uh, I think it'd be I think it'd be stupid to get rid of Dean Smith right now because you've given him all that money to spend. Um, you obviously got a lot of credit for the way you handled Greatest Leaven. Um, what's your chief exec called? Perslow? Pers- yeah, Christian Perslow. Yeah, he's. You know, very experienced football man, spoke very well when Grealish left. Um, obviously, isn't the type to do a knee-jerk reaction. Um, and I just feel like he's the type of guy who will leave Smith around for as long as possible. You know, if it becomes a crisis situation, he could have drifted the bottom three, probably get rid of him. But otherwise, he seems like the type who would replace a manager at the end of the season or at, you know, the end of a contract, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I might be wrong on that, but that's the impression I get from him. He likes to do things properly. That That's what I suspect will will be the case, and, and I really hope that it is. The only reason I say, I said, you know, what I said, if if the worst happens on Friday night against Southampton, it's just because of how, how modern football is, you know. The, mm-hmm. the, oh, totally. one of those things yeah. that would happen, but I, I, I'm with you. I, I think they... They'll know. Well, I'd like to think that they'll know that there is going to be an adjustment period with obviously Greenish going and new players coming in. And also, like we have, we haven't had the fully fit squad to choose from all season. Which I, can't, I hate using that as an excuse because every club has to deal with injuries. But the, at the same time, you can't get away from the fact that if you don't have your best players available to play, you, you're going to. You know, you, you kind of struggle. I mean, even you know, yesterday Danny Ings and Douglas Louise, who are legitimate first team players, both had to weren't in the squad because of uh, injuries. So, yeah, it's just, I, I, I just can't quite put my finger on what's what's going on these last these last four weeks. Because I said up until four weeks ago, you know, you've come off the back of a good performance at Chelsea, albeit in a defeat, win against Everton, win against United, and everything was looking rosy, and then it's. It's very odd. The one thing I will say is the 
the weather you might see on social media from Villa fans on Twitter is not representative on the mood in the stadium. It it was um it, it was still trying to be quite supportive. You know, there was no big massive outcries of booze at, at the end of the game, which which is something that I was quite pleased to see. So that came across on TV. Um how loud, loud the fans are still cheering, even at the end as well, which again it probably makes it more frustrating. Surely, as a as a Villa fan, when you see the performances from the players, when you can clearly see the fans are still right there. But like, we'll stop. We'll stop them. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to the to the away team and the complete opposite, Dave, um, than the troubles that Aston Villa going through just now. West Ham are riding a wave, something rotten just now. David Moyes is just, everything he does turns to turns to gold just now, it seems. Yeah, no, I mean, West Ham have become one of my favourite teams to watch in the league, which I never thought I'd say, but um, the way they, they, they go about their business, is just, there's a lot to admire. Um, they um, you know, obviously got Antonio as the focal point, but Jared Bowen's playing the best football of his life by, by a distance. Um, Four Niles, Rice... Suchek, you know, they all complement each other really well. They all know where each other is, and they're a really well-drilled team. Um, and it's got to the point now where I'm, I'm almost not surprised that they're fourth because they are at a good level pretty much every game they play. Um, you know, they give very little away defensively. Um, I think, um, obviously, Zoom has helped that a great deal. Um, he's an upgrade on Craig Dawson, goes without saying. Um Ogbonna looks every bit like the event of centre half, which is where they got him from, and obviously it took him a while to get to that level, but now he looks very, very good again. Um, I, can't, I can't speak highly enough of them at the minute. They, um, they, they tick a lot of boxes. Um, but what you would say is the poor opposite of, of Villa is that they've had pretty much a full, fully fit squad pretty much every game. I know um, Soufal's missed a couple of games, but the boy... Ben Johnson's come in and done, and done pretty well. Um, but for the most part, they've had their first-choice team available, and it's made a huge difference. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I, mean, I mean, you've mean you seen them first hand yesterday. They, they just look like a complete handful to deal with. Like They, they, they can hit you from, from all sorts. They're, they seem to work really hard as a unit. They're big, they're strong. They, they can be direct when they need to be. They play tidy football. Like it must just be horrible to play against. Yeah, I mean the, the big thing was they're just they're so well organised and everyone knows exactly what they're doing. And I think that comes from what Dave was saying there that they've been able to pretty much pull out the same eleven, you know, bar one or two here or there, week in week out. And they they just all know they all know exactly what they're doing. And I, I think. What was, if you're looking at it from the West Ham point of view yesterday, what was quite impressive was that, like, to be fair, we, and we saw me and the lads said it at half time. I actually thought that uh, in the first half, Hawes and Conza handled Antonio quite well. Like, he, he had to, from what I can remember, he had a fairly quiet game, but they still went and stuck four past us and, and looked comfortable doing it. So, from their point of view, I think he'll be another big sort of Philip in their cap that you know they they, they can go in and get res- a good result like that without having to rely on Antonio to to sort of spearhead everything for them. He had a quiet game, but you can see why because 
and to me it looks like a deliberate ploy that they bring him a little bit deeper. Obviously the centre house follow him and it just leaves so much space in behind for Fornals or Bowen or Ben Ram or whoever's running off him. Um and he's so strong. Once if you get it into him, he's gonna lay it off to someone else and all of a sudden, you know, Courtney Hawes has got a turn and Ezri Cons has got a turn and it's just not gonna happen, is it? Um against some of the fleet footed people around him. So um you're right, he probably sacrificed himself a little bit and probably won't score as many goals as he did last year, but his overall centre-forward player is as good as anybody's in the league right now for me. Yeah, and Declan Rice as well was, was excellent uh, again. A, I mean... A total convert on Declan Rice. After, you know, I said, said before, I didn't think he was as good as being made out. He is absolutely outstanding. And uh, I'll let you make your point first before I go on, because it... <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, I think I'm probably going to say most of what, what you were. I mean, I a couple of seasons ago, I just I did I didn't see the hype at all. But last season, I thought he, he played really well. I thought he had the good Euros and uh, did give me the game. I, I was lucky enough to go to the Denmark semi-finals. And, like seeing that was I think the first time really that I, I probably would have been the first time I've been to a game to see him live. And I thought he was very impressive there. And then just yesterday, admittedly, he wasn't up against an awful lot of opposition yesterday. But even so, he he uh, he controlled the game beautifully. And he's a very, very impressive footballer. I think um, what's really impressive about him is that if you look at that England squad, how many of them have had a good start to this season? And I think I counted four yesterday when I was, when I was thinking through them. No, I didn't go with them man for man by any means, but... Maguire, Shaw, you know, awful. Phil Foden's been very good at times, but um, you look at Kane, terrible. Rashford's been out with an injury. Um, Sancho can't get a kick. Calvin Phillips has been nowhere near as good as he was. Mings. Um, <laughs> Mings, obviously. <laughs> Rob Pick- Pickford's had some good games, some bad games, as, as is norm for him. Um, you know, there's a lot of them have kind of had a bit of a Euros hangover, whereas Declan Rice has, seems to have really grasped the nettle and uh, for me he kind of grew in the summer to, to, you know, to be an international footballer not just a Premier League footballer and he's carried that form into the season um, and he is absolutely outstanding at, at what he does um, not just winning the ball back but the way he drives forward as well I mean obviously not necessarily a goal scorer but um, he just makes it look very very easy doesn't he yeah very 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 good player and I think I mean, I, th- I think West Ham might find themselves in, in the position in a, in a year or two that, that we found ourselves in with, with Greenish last summer in that they may, may struggle to keep hold of him, but they'll get ahead of a prize for him. Yeah, you're talking about £100 million comfortably, um, especially for that position as well. Like, there's, there's a certain team in Red in Manchester who are <laughs> desperate, and I mean desperate for that exact type of midfielder. What, again, whatever you say about transfers and whatever you think a player's worth, players only worth whatever that team needs. Um, if, if you require a certain type of player, just pay whatever you need to pay. If that's the best player you can in that position, and you can afford it, just pay it. And Declan Rice is going to be that for Man United. And West Ham are clever enough, I believe, to, to get them for every penny that, that he's definitely worth. Um, I'm glad you still came over to in my way of thinking of how good Declan Rice is. Um, the Wolves-Everton game has just finished, as we have recorded. We will, I mean, we'll not talk about it, because none of us can clearly say we've seen it. Um, Wolves were a 2-1 win, um, which is a is a massive win. 
Uh, I think we said, well, poor Dave Rappers just trying to get himself sacked to, uh, to come back to the to the mighty Newcastle. Yeah, well, I mean, it's getting to the point now where I'm thinking, do we want him back? <laughs> he's doing he's doing a very um, good job of writing himself out of the CV at the minute. He's uh, he's not doing great at all. But uh, again, they're another team who will be set with injuries. So. Bit of money in their back pocket, and now they're turning down Rafa for the years. Never said turning down. <laughs> Right, chaps, that brings us to the end of the weekend. Um, Simon, let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, so on Twitter, it's at Cy Regan And Villa fans, not that you just want to listen to at the moment, but the, uh, the Holtcast podcast and website, 7500toholt.com. You say that, but the first podcast I listened to this weekend was, was another Villa podcast, because when you get a result like that, it's just worth the listen. <laughs> Dave, for yourself. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at cm9798 and the website is cm9798.co.uk. And you can find us at Man the Post on all your social media platforms. Uh, Chris and the gang will be back on Fridays in your ear with extra time. Obviously, Dave, Simon and myself will be back every Monday back to normal. Uh, apologies for the delay this week. Laptop issues. Um, but yeah, please give us a five-star rating review. Like, share, subscribe, tell a friend, pass the pod, as you will. Uh, thanks again to, to Manscaped for pod, sponsoring the podcast. Um, hope you enjoyed the, the adverts that are popping in. Um, we will have more creative ones throughout the time. But be sure to go to manscaped.com, enter the promo code MOTP at checkout, and get your 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much, as always, for joining. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you at home for listening, and always remember, keep your man in the post.